Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Fear of a nuclear meltdown after Russia attacks a Ukrainian power plant, the largest in Europe. President Zelensky sounding the alarm, saying Western leaders need to, quote, wake up and act immediately. This as Russia continues to target major cities populated with civilians. Three questions this morning. How soon before humanitarian aid reaches those in need? Will anything come from the NATO meetings now underway? And will Vladimir Putin take the Ukrainian president up on his offer to meet face to face? Good morning and welcome to Way Too Early on this Friday, March 4th. I'm Jonathan Lemire. Another day of bloodshed across Ukraine as Russian forces lay siege to many cities, targeting civilian areas, including residential buildings. That's the explosion after Russian military strikes hit an apartment complex and two schools in Chernihiv in the northern part of the country. Local officials say at least 33 were killed and 18 injured in the strikes, while rescue work had to be temporarily suspended due to subsequent heavy shelling. This as Russian troops encircled and blocked another key port city in the north, creating what local authorities say is a humanitarian catastrophe. Officials say the city is without heat, water, and power due to the constant shelling. Russians also captured their first major port city of Kherson yesterday after intense fighting. And while heavy bombardment continued in Kyiv, that miles-long convoy outside the capital has made little progress over the last three days. According to a senior U.S. official, Moscow has now moved 90% of its troops that were amassed around Ukraine inside the country. Russian forces also now control Europe's largest nuclear plant after shelling the facility located in southern Ukraine. One of the power station's six reactors caught fire. A spokesman for the plant said the reactor is under renovation but still does have nuclear fuel inside. Ukraine's foreign minister tweeted, if it blows up, it will be 10 times larger than Chernobyl. Russians must immediately cease the fire, allow firefighters establish a security zone. The plant had been accessible because firefighters were being shot at. No essential equipment was damaged, and the U.N. now says that no radioactive material was released. This was terrifying to follow last night. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky pleaded with Europeans and their leaders to, quote, wake up, saying in part, we need to stop the Russian military immediately. Scream at your politicians. Ukraine has 15 nuclear power blocks. If there's an explosion, it is the end for all of us. The end of Europe, evacuation of Europe. Only immediate actions of Europe can stop the Russian military. Do not let Europe die from a nuclear catastrophe. Zelensky also spoke with President Biden and with British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who said he will call for an emergency meeting of the U.N. Security Council this morning. Joining us now, live from Lviv, Ukraine, NBC News correspondent Molly Hunter. Molly, thank you for joining us right now. Talk to us about the significance of this power plant last night and the capture by the Russians. Some debate whether the Russians deliberately targeted it, looking for an explosion. Uh, what is the current situation there? And what does it mean now that it's under Russian control? 
Hey, Jonathan, that's right. It was a super dramatic 12 hours, and we've just got some breaking lines from the state inspectorate for nuclear regulation of Ukraine. I'll just run you through those quickly. Uh, so as you mentioned, the fire is out. That is the good news. There is no more fire. Firefighters were battling uh, that fire all night, got in, as you mentioned, uh, and were able to put it out. Now, the plant is occupied by Russian forces. The good news about the nuclear reactor and about the units in there is they remain intact. There has been some damage to Unit 1, Jonathan, but that does not affect the safety. Uh, and really good news, there are no changes to the radiation status. Uh, so that was one of the big questions overnight, whether we were going to notice anything discernible there. Uh, overnight, just want to quickly run you through, Jonathan. U.S. Energy Secretary tweeted out, she called Russian military action, actions in that neighborhood uh, near the nuclear reactor reckless and must cease. She says the plant reactors are protected by robust containment structures and reactors are being safely shut down. And the IAEA is also confirmed overnight. The fire did not affect any essential equipment, but you heard the urgency in President Zelensky's voice, and you will hear it from other European leaders today. Uh, that is very dangerous uh, and really kind of pushes, in, uh, pushes us into a new phase of this ramped up Russian aggression, Jonathan. Yes, yeah, certainly good news that no radiation spike detected, but worrisome for the Ukrainians at that plant, which, yeah. could, which supplies a lot of power to the country, uh, is now in the control of the Russians, who potentially have the ability to turn it off. Molly, give us the latest on the situation where you are in Lviv today uh, and your sense of the fighting throughout the country. Yeah, so we came in uh, to the country yesterday, Jonathan, for a little bit of context. We crossed through one of the main border crossings with Hungary. Uh, just for a little bit of context, we've obviously seen a lot of pictures out of uh, that Pol the Polish side of the border uh, with so many refugees, more than 650,000 refugees crossing into Poland. According to the UN, more than a million people have fled the country. That is not even including, of course, all the internally displaced people. But we crossed over from Hungary. Hungary has taken about 130,000 people, uh, got in pretty seamless crossing and then driving up the southwest of the country up to Lviv, we passed a couple of big checkpoints. Um, one of those checkpoints, Jonathan, had a four and a half mile long uh, mm. kind of backup of cars. And our driver was pointing out all of the license plates were Kharkiv, were Kiev, all people, of course, cars stuffed full fleeing from the east. By the time we got up to Lviv, of course, this western city that is thought to be relatively safe right now, they have established essentially what they're calling a ring of steel. So the final checkpoint we had to go through part of this city's obviously growing defenses in the last couple of days. Um, huge checkpoint, huge sandbags, uh, concrete, big metal kind of uh, blockades that they can easily then put into uh, the road to block all people. They gave us kind of a cursory check in our car, but really making sure anyone coming in, uh, they are aware of anyone coming in. We have heard uh, some air raid sirens this morning, a couple last night, uh, and really uh, just looking around at this city surrounded by kind of hills, really every entry point is going to have uh, that stepped up uh, defense mm -hmm. as we've been talking to our teams here, my colleagues, of course, who have been here for the last week, and they say every single day they're noticing kind of an increased uh, defenses around this city. NBC's Molly Hunter, we really appreciate it. Please be safe. Certainly some heartwarming scenes of European countries welcoming in refugees fleeing Ukraine. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Brussels this morning, meeting with NATO allies and reaffirming Washington's support for Ukraine. Let's bring in live from NATO headquarters in Brussels, NBC News correspondent, my friend Josh Letterman. Josh, thanks so much for being here. Give us a summary. What are some key moments so far from Blinken's trip? 
Well, Jonathan, the overarching theme today is pushing back on any possibility that President Putin could expand this conflict beyond Ukraine, particularly into NATO territory. Uh, We heard from the secretary general of NATO this morning as Secretary Blinken was arriving, saying this situation has created a need for a new normal for security in Europe and that the threat of a persistent uh, conflict and risk is real here. Blinken saying as he was arriving uh, that this is a defensive alliance. They don't want conflict with anyone. But Blinken saying that the U.S., the West, NATO are ready for that conflict should it come. Blinken saying this about what NATO has been able to do in the last few days. In the wake of Russia's unprovoked uh, premeditated aggression against Ukraine, this alliance came together with speed, with unity, with determination. Uh, immediately launching uh, the Rapid Response Task Force, uh, putting in place the graduated plans to continue to bolster NATO's uh, security. Every ally, in one way or another, is coming to Ukraine's assistance. Every ally, in one way or another, is helping uh, to strengthen NATO itself. Here in Brussels, Blinken will also be meeting today with EU foreign ministers as well as diplomats from the G7 at the start of a trip, Jonathan, where he will also be going to Moldova and Poland, two countries facing that influx of refugees that Molly was just describing. Blinken then ending his trip uh, in the Baltics, where he will visit all three NATO members in the Baltics, trying to show uh, that NATO alliance is ready to defend every inch of its territory should Putin escalate any further. Yeah, certainly U.S. officials heartened by how united NATO has been. Josh, obviously we were just talking about how Russia took the war into sort of escalated into a scary new phase last night with the siege of that nuclear power plant. Uh, what is the what are you hearing there about foreign ministers at NATO weighing in on this, not just the recklessness, perhaps, uh, but also what it means strategically to control such a valuable energy supplier? Yeah, we heard from the NATO secretary general just a few minutes ago about that, saying uh, that this is reckless, that it shows uh, the dire need to end this conflict and for Russia to pull its troops out of Ukraine. And interestingly, that was similar language uh, that we heard from the NATO secretary general after Putin just a few days ago put his nuclear forces on high alert. So you can get the sense that the West doesn't feel like there's that much they can do at this point about the situation on the ground. Uh, But they are very concerned about the fact that this is potentially potentially taking on a nuclear dimension to it as well. All right. NBC's Josh Letterman joining us live from NATO headquarters in Brussels. Thank you so much. Still ahead, the subpoenas keep piling up from members of former President Trump's inner circle. The latest for Don Jr.'s fiance. why the select committee wants to talk to her. Plus, Bill Barr's first TV interview since he resigned from the Trump administration. What the former attorney general said about his last day at the White House. Those stories and a check on the weather when we come right back. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash first year 15 for promotional details. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free. The deposition of former President Donald Trump and his eldest children has been delayed. The Trump family is appealing a judge's ruling that Donald Trump, Ivanka and Don Jr. must sit for an interview as the New York Attorney General's office investigates the Trump Organization. Both parties agreed yesterday that the depositions will be pushed back until an accelerated appeals hearing can take place. If the court determines the Trumps do need to sit for the deposition, it will be held within two weeks of that decision. New York Attorney General Letitia James has been conducting a civil probe of the Trump's business practices for two years now. The House Select Committee investigating January 6th has subpoenaed the fiancé of Donald Trump Jr. for information relating to last year's Capitol attack. The chairman of the committee issued a statement saying Kimberly Guilfoyle met with then-President Trump and members of his family the morning of January 6th. Later that day, Guilfoyle spoke at that Stop the Steal rally supporting Trump's allegations that the election was fraudulent. She is also believed to have communicated with Trump about who was and who was not allowed to speak at the rally. She was a visible presence on the campaign trail uh, in 2020. Meanwhile, former Attorney General Bill Barr says former President Trump got extremely angry when Barr told him there was no evidence that the 2020 election was stolen. Barr delivered that stunning news when he sat down with NBC News anchor Lester Holt in the first televised interview since he stepped down from his position in December 2020. And I told him that all this stuff was bull**** and uh, about election fraud. And, uh, you know, it was wrong to be shoveling it out the way his team was. And he started asking me about different theories and I had the answers. I was able to tell him this is wrong because of this. He was obviously getting very angry about this. I said, okay, well, look, I I understand you're upset with me and I'm perfectly happy to tender my resignation. And then, boom. He slaps the desk. He slapped the desk and he said, accepted. Perhaps that interview would have been helpful uh, in December 2020 if Bill Barr wanted to go public then. But now, of course, is when he has a book coming out. Still ahead, an update on MLB lockout negotiations. Plus, the NFL is changing its COVID protocols and a missed putt by a top golfer that's frankly hard to believe. We have a lot coming up for you in sports. Don't go anywhere. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash first year 15 for promotional details.
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Representatives from Major League Baseball and the Players Association met yesterday to discuss a path forward in negotiations to end the lockout. The New York-based meeting reportedly lasted 90 minutes and covered the major issues that the league, that led the league to cancel the first two series of the regular season. It was reportedly followed by a conference call held by the union executive board. There is no indication when the two sides plan to meet again. It better be soon. Meanwhile, Novak Djokovic could get the chance to defend his French Open title at Roland Garros this spring after all. It comes as officials in France announced yesterday the country will no longer require visitors to show proof of a coronavirus vaccine to enter indoor venues after next Monday. A spokesman for the French Open said the tournament planned to follow government regulations in effect at the time of the competition, which begins May 22nd. The NFL has suspended all of its COVID protocols. That means no requirements for masking, social distancing, or testing unless at the direction of a doctor. And that goes for all players and staff, regardless of vaccination status. The league explained this decision in a memo sent to the 32 teams yesterday, citing encouraging trends regarding the prevalence and severity of COVID-19, the evolving guidance from the CDC, changes to state law, and the counsel of our respective experts. The NFL did not rule out reimposing protocols in the future if needed. Teams are also still required to comply with any state and local laws, the NFL being the first team to get rid of its COVID protocols. First league. Meanwhile, in the NBA, the Brooklyn Nets are hoping for changes to the New York City's coronavirus mandates that would allow unvaccinated Kyrie Irving to play in home games. The city, though, is saying no plans in the offing just yet. The Nets lost again without Irving or the injured Ben Simmons on the court at the Barclays Center last night. The Miami Heat, they came away with a 113-107 win, despite 31 points scored by superstar Kevin Durant in his return after a 21-day absence with a knee injury. In Los Angeles, the Lakers' struggles continued last night and a 132-111 blowout loss to the Clippers, who completed a season sweep of their Crestown rivals. It also led to an awkward exchange after the game between Lakers' Russell Westbrook and a reporter who asked him about his team's underachievement this season. When you conceived getting together with LeBron, AD, you had a vision of what that would look like basketball-wise. Has, has it been difficult for you to process the fact that it hasn't happened the way you guys envisioned it? What did I envision? I suppose I would imagine some wins. I mean, you say it. Based on what I envision, I want to know what you think I envision. I would have, you envisioned coming here and winning a championship, or at least being in the, the season over. You still asked my question. You, what did I envision? Russ. You, you said you envisioned this to be a certain way. I want to know what you did. You envision it to look like this. I had no, I had no expectations. See, that's why you don't know. You don't know what I envision. I had no expectations. You hate to see it. The surging Celtics won again last night. There was another tense exchange last night on the NHL ice in Tampa. This one coming to blows. The Lightning's Braden Point fought Pittsburgh defenseman Chris Letang in a really vicious scrap at the end of the first period. 
already with a two-goal lead at that point. The Penguins went on to post a lopsided 5-1 win over the Bolts. The Bruins beat the Knights last night in Las Vegas. And finally, for all the amateur golfers out there struggling with your short game, here's a reminder that even the top-ranked player in the world isn't perfect. John Ryan had an easy putt to save par on the seventh hole of yesterday's opening round at Arnold Palmer Invitational. Somehow, Ron leaves the 10-in putt short and has to settle for the bogey. That looks like me on the miniature golf course. Time now for the weather. And Bill Karens, it's good to know golf stars are just like us. Uh, what's the forecast looking like out there? We've all done it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I think I probably did a couple of three putts from that distance. Uh, yeah, this yeah, this weekend, uh, amazingly warm in some areas of the country, and we'll get a little taste of that in the Northeast, but we got to wait till Sunday for it. It's a cold morning, by the way, in the Northeast this morning. I mean, it's like middle of winter type cold. But the warm air is on the way. The conveyor of tropical air is coming out of the Gulf, of uh, from the Gulf Coast all the way to Maine. Temperatures on, especially Sunday, will be up to 30 degrees warmer than they should be for this time of year. And Everywhere that's a dot on this map has at least a potential for a record high temperature this weekend. That's 80 cities, 47, and we're expected actually to break record highs. So today, all that warm air, 70s as far north as Denver, not bad in Omaha either. Look at 80s down towards Alabama and Mississippi. Then on Saturday, we're in the temperatures, 70s for St. Louis, Cincinnati is in the upper 70s. Chicago at 66 this time of year is fantastic. And then I said it does make its way into the northeast and mid-Atlantic, D.C., 77 on both Sunday and Monday. It looks like the warmest day in New England. Uh, New York will be in the 60s on Sunday. Boston, you'll at least be in the 50s, so a little taste of spring for you. So here's that weekend forecast. Our friends in the West, we are tracking that storm. Lots of snow in the high elevations. We desperately still need the snowpack in California, especially, so we'll take whatever we can get. And then some watch out some rain, maybe even some severe thunderstorms in Iowa come Saturday. And then by the time we get to Sunday, We'll track those thunderstorms and rain into Arkansas and areas of the Ohio Valley. And with those warmer temperatures will come some light rain in areas of the northeast on Sunday. But pretty wild weekend, Jonathan. We're going to talk about areas like Denver going from near 80 degrees to shoveling snow by the time Sunday night arrives. March is just so strange. Bill Karens, thank you so much. Have a good weekend, pal. Still ahead, Ukraine's president has a question for Vladimir Putin. What are you afraid of? We'll have the latest on peace talk efforts coming up next. We're back in just a minute. Welcome back to Way Too Early. It's just before 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast, 2.30 out West. I'm Jonathan Lemire. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is calling for a face-to-face meeting with Vladimir Putin. In a press conference yesterday... The Ukrainian leader addressed his counterpart directly, saying through a translator, quote, good Lord, what do you want? If you don't want to leave our land now, sit down with me at the negotiating table. What are you afraid of? He was later asked to elaborate on that request by NBC News chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel. You just mentioned that you want to talk to Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin has so far not been willing to meet with him. Do you have a message for him now that Ukrainian cities are under attack. It's not about I want to talk with Putin. I think I have to talk with Putin. The world has to talk with Putin because there are no other ways to stop this war. That's why I have to. Those comments came after another round of peace talks between Ukrainian and Russian delegators, delegations in Belarus. 
In those negotiations, the two sides say they agreed to form pathways for civilians to flee the violence in Ukraine. But no progress was made toward ending the war. And we'll see if the Russians honor that agreement. A new round of White House sanctions is targeting high-profile Russian oligarchs with close ties to Putin. The Treasury Department announced the latest penalties yesterday against some of Russia's wealthiest citizens, their families, and their businesses. That includes Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov and a businessman known as Putin's chef. In a statement explaining the sanctions, the department wrote this. These individuals have enriched themselves at the expense of the Russian people, and some have elevated their family members into high-ranking positions. Others sit atop Russia's largest companies and are responsible for providing the resources necessary to support Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Joining us now, political reporter for Axios, one of our friends here, Sarah Muha. Sarah, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we, taught, we just heard from President Zelensky call for a meeting face-to-face with Putin. No signs that the Kremlin would be into that. We do know that also before the invasion started, President Biden had agreed to meet with Putin if there was no Russian conflict. Obviously, the invasion happened. That meeting was off. But is there any indication the White House will attempt to revive that summit with with between Biden and Putin to perhaps broker a ceasefire? Yeah, well, Jen Psaki, press secretary, was asked about this just yesterday, and they did not commit either way, leaving that option probably still a little bit on the table. But of course, you mentioned yourself that Putin has not expressed any willingness to meet with Zelensky. So the idea that he might be willing to meet with the U.S. president is also probably unlikely. I think what we're going to have to see for that to happen is for him to really start feeling the squeeze of these new sanctions, the sanctions that were imposed by the European Union. And once that tide, if that tide starts to really turn within his own country and he's got nowhere else to move, then he's going to be looking for that off ramp. So whether that's a meeting with the United States, that that allows for some kind of loosening of those sanctions or even with uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky, we'll see. Yeah, usually president uh, summits with U.S. presidents are sort of a reward. Hey, start a ceasefire, then we'll meet with you. So exactly. we'll unclear if that's going to happen here. Sarah, you have some uh, new reporting uh, on swing voters and how they feel about the invasion and how Pre- President Biden is handling the crisis. What are some of the things that stood out to you about their answers? You know, it was really interesting. There was sort of a, a hierarchy of opinion, if you will. Every swing voter, it's a group of 13 voters, uh, was aware of the invasion. They had been following the news. Of those 13, nine said that they held some sort of an opinion. And then six of those, so a, a majority of the people who had an opinion, were actually supportive of President Biden's actions. They think that escalating sanctions is the way to go. They are fervently adamant against American boots on the ground. And so at least politically, President Biden's sanctions are a popular choice. And then another thing that we thought was really interesting out of these focus groups is that they, you know, Republicans, President Trump himself has said that uh, Russian President Putin would not have invaded Ukraine had Trump still been in office. And the swing voters who voted for Trump in 2016 and then voted for Biden in 2020 we're actually pretty mixed on that. They said, ah, I think he probably would have. However, one person did make the point that they think that his unpredictability could have been a factor in, in preventing that. Sarah, and a quick follow-up to that point, whether from the voters you talked to or just other reporting you've picked up, we know that former President Trump, shall we say, 
flattered Vladimir Putin quite a bit. And a number of other Republicans did the same while Trump was in office. And even in the early days of this crisis, what's been the reaction to that now that we see the Putin with this unprovoked invasion? Yeah, and that is something, too, that those swing voters talked about. They said, well, we think that President Trump was possibly in President Putin's pocket. They weren't super uh, thrilled about that aspect of it. And they did, I want to also clarify or, or note, that they fervently believe that Russia is a threat to the United States. And one of the reasons that they noted for that being the case is the disinformation and uh, an attempt to meddle in the 2016 and even in the 2020 election. And of course, we know that former President Trump sided with Putin over U.S. intelligence agencies about those 2016 election interference. Sarah Muha of Axios, thank you so very much for being here. Have a good weekend. The war in Ukraine is also fueling instability on Wall Street. Coming up, how the markets are reacting to the news this morning. Plus, there's a key jobs report coming out in a few hours. We're live with CNBC next on Way Too Early. Time now for business. And for that, let's bring in CNBC's Rosanna Lockwood, who joins us live from London. Good morning, Rosanna. Thanks for being here. Uh, U.S. stocks finished lower yesterday as investors monitored the war in Ukraine. What's your sense of it? What can we expect on Wall Street today? Definitely a lot more risk off, as we call it here in the markets. Uh, John, uh, U.S. futures tipping towards a negative downside just in the last few hours or so. Of course, we've had this terrible uh, news of a Russian occupation of Europe's largest nuclear power plant. Uh, fire has been put out there, but the International Atomic Energy Agency continuing to monitor uh, events there. And that has roiled the markets, understandably. It began with the Asia markets, which all closed sharply lower in the red, climbing sort of 16-month lows. In fact, we inherited that lead here in Europe. We are, of course, on the front line of this here in Europe. So a lot of red across the equities markets here as well. Most major indexes down by three and a half percent or so in Paris, Germany and uh, London, France, Paris, that is, of course. And then that is probably going to uh, affecting stateside as well when you guys open up. Now, oil has been above $120 a barrel in Thursday's session. It has retreated slightly back from that, but that will have an effect, of course, with energy companies. But even energy companies haven't been a safer sector today. Really, there isn't much safety out there, apart from when you look at the safety of the U.S. dollar. Yeah, and good point about the uh, scrutiny already on the energy industry uh, because of the supplier Russia is and now the plant last night. Um, Over the past week, several global companies have cut ties with Russia in the wake of the invasion. Give us a sense of the state of the economy in Moscow right now. Absolutely terrible verge of economic collapse, I think it's fair to say. Some are arguing it's the worst in post-World War II history. And just a reminder that Russia went through uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, then it went through a financial crisis in 1998. And some analysts are saying what's happening now is worse than either of those two events. You've got the ruble at historic lows. You've probably heard of companies like Apple, like Nike, uh, Spotify and Ikea now pulling out of the country. Russians expect a standard of living much the same as you and I, and they no longer have access to those products. This is what sanctions are about. They've also we've got the sanctioning of the central bank, basically unprecedented equities markets in Russia haven't opened all week. They're not scheduled to open until next week. London listed uh, shares of uh, Russian companies absolutely plummeting. Russia's largest lender, a bank called Spearbank, uh, down 99.72 percent year to date, trading for around a single penny on the London Stock Exchange Wednesday. That was before those listings were cancelled. 
Yeah, there was a viral clip going around from Russian television yesterday about a stock, broker, stock market analyst there basically saying his life work was over because the market had collapsed so badly. Uh, but, Rosanna, last thing, turning stateside, uh, the February jobs report is set to be released in just a few hours. What are we expecting? Uh, we're expecting a pretty solid number, in fact, John. It's, it's easy to forget with all of this going on in the world that actually the U.S. economic recovery is kind of going from strength to strength. Still, normally we would put a lot of focus on what's called uh, the non-farm payrolls run number released the first Friday of every month. Uh, it is slightly in the background now, but expecting a big jump in hiring to around 467,000. Sorry, that was back in January. Uh, for today, you're looking at an average 415,000 jobs added to the U.S. economy. At the bottom end of that consensus, it could be as low as 80,000. Top end 725,000. But one to keep an eye on in particular is wage growth. That has been on the mend in the US. It was better, rising to 5.7% in January. It's expected to move higher to around 5.8% for February. Um, There are around 11 million vacancies still in the US economy. And this is one to bear in mind when you think about the rate of inflation, everything's starting to cost more. So people need higher wages in order to be able to afford a better standard of living. So not only are we looking at the amount of jobs that have been added in the US economy, who's taking those jobs, but also how much they're being paid. And we'll have coverage of that jobs report on Morning Joe in a few hours. CNBC's Rosanna Lockwood, live from London. Thank you so very much. Still ahead, some are speculating that Russia could turn to cryptocurrency to get around those aforementioned sanctions. In response, there are growing calls to regulate crypto. We'll look at the future of digital currencies next on Way Too Early. The impact of the Russia-Ukraine war on the global economy is spurring an increase in calls for cryptocurrency to be regulated. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell testified in front of the House Financial Services Committee earlier this week on the state of the economy and monetary policy. When asked if Russia could use crypto to bypass sanctions, Powell said, quote, the war underscored the need for congressional action on digital finance, including cryptocurrencies. We have this burgeoning industry, which has many parts to it, and there isn't in place the kind of regulatory framework that needs to be there. Powell also pointed to the possibility that terrorists and other malicious actors could use the currency in their activities as another reason why it would need regulation. Joining us now is Ari Redboard. He's the head of legal and government affairs for TRM Labs. He's also a former senior advisor to the Treasury Department across a couple of presidential administrations. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, let's talk about this. Since the invasion of Ukraine, we have seen a wave of U.S. and European sanctions targeting Russia. How likely is it for, A, Russia to use crypto to evade these sanctions, and then, B, might we see some federal regulation on cryptocurrency? First, thank you so much for having me this morning. Um, so, so I think that the, sh- the short answer is uh, crypto is not very useful for sanctions evasion at scale by the Kremlin, by Putin, by Russia, by the central bank. Um, there, there's for and for a number of reasons. Um, uh, but that said, you know, there are there are potential uses here. Uh, but but first of all, you know, there's really not enough crypto. I mean, the entire market cap of crypto doesn't come close to sort of the numbers that would really take to replace what has been lost in terms of sanctions in a meaningful way. You know, you're hearing about, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of central bank assets being blocked or frozen. You're seeing 1.5 trillion in trade potentially in jeopardy in terms of Russia. The entire crypto market cap doesn't come near sort of what it would take to really, really um, sort of replace what has been lost to allow uh, meaningful sanctions evasion. Uh, That said, you are likely to see 
uh, Russian actors attempt to use cryptocurrency in sort of smaller ways in order to evade sanctions. Um, the entire sanctions, U.S. sanctions regime, global sanctions regime is predicated on the fact that the U.S. dollar is the global reserve currency and crypto lives and moves outside the traditional U.S. financial system. You saw yesterday, for example, you know, a laundry list of oligarchs and, and Putin's inner circle uh, sanctioned. Those individuals may try to use uh, cryptocurrency in order to evade sanctions. I will say that when you look at sort of where most of the liquidity is in the crypto market, you're looking at large, uh, what I would call compliant cryptocurrency exchanges, the ones we sort of all know, Coinbase and Binance and FTX. And those have those those um, uh, companies have robust compliance controls like any other financial institution. So Russian actors will be looking to go outside of of those sort of larger exchanges to a to to less compliant or non-compliant exchanges. And I think that's where the real danger lies. And I think those will be the targets of the U.S. government and allies in terms of sanctions and other actions going forward. Yeah, that's really interesting stuff. And you mentioned the sanctions on these Russian oligarchs who have amassed vast fortunes in political influence under Putin. You know, you draw upon your experience at the Treasury Department here. Uh, how much damage do you think that the sanctions that the U.S. and allies have rolled out so far will do to rush the Russian economy and in particular those closest to Putin? I think really it will do really significant damage. I mean, we're already starting to see it. I think in your last segment, you know, I heard some of the numbers. I mean, you're looking at, you know, Spurbank uh, down 99 percent, Russia's largest bank. You're looking at, um, you know, devastating sanctions. Um, but, but, you know, it's really just the beginning, which is, I think, the most extraordinary thing. And you sort of step back from this for a moment. I spent some time in Treasury. I spent 11 years at the Department of Justice at the U.S. Attorney's Office. I, I have never seen in a course of, you know, a few days what the level of a sanctions program that we've rolled out in one country. I mean, this took us a matter of years to get to in the Iran sanctions program. But again, there's still more that can be done. So you're seeing the devastation today, but we haven't even gotten to, you know, what, what I would say is a full government blocking or full government sanctions against the government of Russia. We still have not gotten to a full country sanctions program in terms of Russia where, you know, U.S. persons and businesses would be forbidden uh, doing business with Russian persons and businesses. Uh, so this is just the beginning. And there's a lot more that can sort of happen in the next few days and weeks to continue to put the pressure on. But we're already seeing the effects of this, which is in and of itself extraordinary. We heard from President Biden that sanctions, potential sanctions to Russia's energy industry, its lifeblood still on the table. Ari Redboard, thank you so much for a fascinating conversation. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today. Up next, Vladimir Putin's assessment of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And coming up on Morning Joe, live reports from the ground in both countries' capitals, as well as neighboring Poland, where more than a half of some one million Ukrainian refugees have now fled. Plus, Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby will join the conversation. Morning Joe is just a few minutes away. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 